Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts, and I'm here with my co-host, Wynne Morgan. How are you, Wynne? I'm really well, thanks, Kate. Good to see you. Good. And today we're joined by Sarah Costin. Hi, Sarah. Hello. So one of our favorite things that we love to do with new guests on the show is to essentially put it to you. Like, what would you love for people to know about what you're up to? I'm up to living into whatever arises in the moment that it arises as best as I can and to be completely present in every moment as best as I can. And I fail a lot, but I'm up to a commitment to that. It often looks like being in nature a lot too. I'm paddleboarding on my paddleboard on, in the mountain lakes in Colorado in the summertime. A good answer. I love that. So um, as we were chatting for a few minutes before we began recording about what we would love to talk about, we were talking about your book. Um, would you go ahead and introduce your book to our listeners and, and then we can kind of take it from there? Sure. Yes, Wynne is holding up the copy. Thank you. It's called You Are the Blue Sky, Understanding Who You Are Beyond Your Thinking. And it's a book pointing to a space. And it's pointing to the space before thought. It's pointing to a space of our being side of our nature. That is actually the side of us that is connected to all of nature. Um, that springs from nature, that has the same intellect, uh, universal intelligence as all of nature. And I think a lot of us just forget that it's there. And we rely heavily on our personal intellect, which in the book, I use the metaphor as clouds. And neither is better or worse. We're both sky and clouds. We're both universal intelligence and personal intellect. And um, it's a celebration of both the, the messiness of our humanity and the, the beauty of our divinity. So when we were um, talking about your book before recording, one thing that showed up for us to chat about is creating a book from a space that you wrote that book from and to, to sit in a conversation together about that space that you wrote from. Yeah, the space that I wrote from was um, almost felt like a force, 
like, um, like I, I actually didn't have much of a choice sometimes uh, than to write. Um, there's certainly a, a part of me that always wanted to write a book. I thought it would be a fun project to write a book. I've always loved writing. Um, and uh, a little bit, it was like um, opening a valve in some ways of like picking off all the insecure thoughts and the pressured thoughts and of what it has to look like or what if it has to be or what other people will think of it. And just opening this valve by way of dismissing those thoughts or uh, just not putting as much attention to those opened the valve kind of. And then a lot of times what I wrote just felt like, yeah, something coming through me as opposed to coming from me. And through the whole two years of writing the book, uh, it was a constant dance of the valve opening and closing, uh, a constant dance of getting caught up in my personal thinking about what this book was about and then coming back to this um, space of just allowing it to come through. And, and a lot of, it was very disorganized and messy for a long time. And a lot of that I see in hindsight was, um, it looked disorganized and messy to my intellect because it wanted to be, it wanted it to be organized into a pretty little book. And it wasn't until I was able to kind of step back and um, kind of revisit that space of where the book was coming from that it all, the organization fell into place. It was like, I don't know if that's, that's making sense, but it was like I was getting in my own way by making it have to um, look a certain way or be organized or make sense even. And, um, and that was messing with the organization. So I actually, there was like a period of six months where I didn't touch the book because I saw that I was getting in the way of the space. And then it was, I came back to it with fresh eyes as we often do. And it was like, I don't know, it all aligned into the perfect order that it needed to be in. And um and I know that's getting into structure a bit, but it's also still coming from that space. It's like, I think the book in some ways wanted to be, I don't know, I've heard it said from other writing coaches that it's like, a, the book has its own intelligence in some ways. It has its own form it wants to be in. And a lot of the work is just getting out of your own way of what that is. Um, so it was a constant dance of tapping into that space. And then tapping into my own personal intellect of what I know about writing and good structure and story and transformation. And so that's the, that's the dance too about what I mentioned about how it's a little bit intellect and, and tapping into that space at the same time. They both kind of serve in, in, in bringing the book to the world. It's kind of cool that we have that gift, that ability to, to do both and to be both. Uh, yeah, to create something. You know, until recently, I'd have thought that that was nuts. 
what you just said. <laughs> I'd have thought, well, no, 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 no. That's not how people write. That's not how, you know, there's a process. There's a process for writing. And then there's a process for getting a book from a manuscript into to being out there in the world in physical form or, or ebook form. How did you f see or notice that it was the way you described as opposed to the way that I used to think? I think that my feelings of it feeling difficult or easy were really in my service all the time. Because when it was feeling difficult, it was a, a really nice love note to tell me that I'm getting in the way again. And when it felt easy, it was like so easy as if it already existed. <laughs> and I'm just merely like, I don't know. I know this probably does sound woo-woo and esoteric and crazy to maybe some people. <laughs> and it sounds that way to me. But um, that difficult, easy gauge came up a lot. And it wasn't like it was always easy. But the times that were difficult always led me back to ease. It, like it always led me, like the times that were difficult kind of let me know that I was putting my foot on the gas too much. And that feeling let me know just to take my foot off the gas. And as soon as I put my foot off the gas, then it felt easy again. And the next step was just kind of clear to me. And, and people would come into my life at just the right time. Like my book editor came into my life at just a perfect time. And it's easy to talk about a book and like really put it on a pedestal, but it's really no different than like making dinner. Or like, I mean, it's really not a big deal. Our culture really put, makes a big deal out of writing a book. It's really not a big deal, like at all. That's one thing I learned. <laughs> the more I made a big deal about it, the more difficult it seemed. But it's the easiest thing in the world. You just keep showing up and writing, just like you just keep showing up and cooking dinner. And then you have a meal. Like, it's just no different. That just makes it sound so beautifully simple. And it makes a heap of sense in listening to you. Well, I think that's the one that that's what stopped. I wanted to write like my whole life. And I think what stopped me was thinking that writing a book was something really hard and really special and that I had to earn it and all these things. And I just saw that. What if it wasn't? What if that's all just made up? What if writing a book is just the accumulation of writing a lot of words on a page and then making them sound nice? That's really how I see it. And that's why I'm excited to keep writing because it's just a thing I like doing. Yeah. So let's see if I get this right. The only thing that you had as a gauge of how things were going was, does it feel easy or does it feel difficult? And if it feels difficult, I need to back off a little bit until it feels easy again and I'm good to go. Yes. Literally, that's it. Literally, that's what I did. And sometimes those difficult moments lasted a couple of months, a couple of days. But there were, there were periods where I didn't touch the book at all because it was still feeling difficult. Wow. And I have this voice inside of my head with writing a lot. I think it's like comes from, I don't know, middle school. Whenever I like show up to write, there's an immediate habitual voice that says, but I don't want to. It's like really whiny. <laughs> and uh, it's like, I don't want to. And it's going to be hard. And uh, as soon as I hear that voice, 
I just always ask it, well, what if it was easy? And it's not positive thinking or changing it, but I just, what if it was easy? So if that's the, the gauge that you had for writing, you show up to write in the same way as you would show up to write, show up to make dinner. In what way is it different or the same when going from having written the book or the first manuscript, first draft, to then having it published and out in the world? Well, now it really feels like I'm unattached to it. Um, whereas before there was a sense of um, housekeeping or uh, there was a sense that I was a steward of the book. I was a steward to try to like bring this book into the world as best I could. And, and again, it, when talking about it, it makes it seem like it's such a special thing. And I don't mean it to sound precious or anything, but uh, I was a steward of it. And, and I brought it into the world and now it exists. And people who I don't even know, who I've never met, who live across the globe, are picking it up and reading it. And then they have an experience of it. But they're having an experience of the book that in some ways is now out into the world. It's, even though it's my story and my words and I shaped it and stewarded it into the world, there's this sense of non-attachment to it. So I feel like I, I'm proud of myself. I did a good job. I birthed it into the world and whatever happens to it and whatever people have experience of it next is kind of unrelated to me in some ways. And it's a, that's a really great way to hold it if you don't want to get any, to take any negative feedback too. <laughs> Sarah, when did you um, first start to catch on that thoughts about things being difficult were just indications of I'm having difficult thoughts rather than the truth about how things are? Like, when did you start to catch on to that? Because I think most people, when they have thoughts about things being difficult or whether or not they could even like say the subject of writing a book that seems very real to people those thoughts that come up about oh I can't do that or that's that's too much of a commitment or it's too hard to see it through or that seems very real rather than just oh yeah I'm, I'm sped up on this thing and yeah doesn't make it true it just means I'm I got a bunch of thoughts about it that's a, yeah, that's a good question and a good observation because certainly our culture, we think a lot of things are hard and we think they're just objectively hard. And I hear it all the time now. I think I almost have developed an ear for it all the times during my day where I hear someone say, well, that's really hard. And I think often it's meant as a empathetic, um, but I wonder if it's a disservice because it's just... Um, reinforcing that something is objectively hard and it seems really true. And I think where I first, well, not first, but that's just been a, um, a scene that's kind of unraveled for me, but I've had a few teachers like, um, I know specifically Barb Patterson said to me recently that not to me, but I heard her say that, you know, 
hard is a state of mind. And I think the Prince case, George and Linda has said that in some shape or form. And that really landed, like hard is always a state of mind. And, um, and I think people could hear that and get offended, right? Because uh, certain things do look really hard. But I think once you see that, that there's freedom and liberation in, in seeing that hard or difficult is a state of mind, because the freedom and liberation comes from then you have a choice whether to hold it as hard or not. You have a choice of whether to hold it as difficult. You have a choice to whether breathe into that difficult feeling and to continue it to make it difficult or not. And there's liberation anytime we have choice in something. And so I think that phrase, hard is a state of mind, uh, it comes back to me a lot because it does. Sometimes things just look like they're really truthfully real and really hard. But what if they're not? You know what's great as well in, in that that you've just shared is that you gave an example earlier on of how difficult and simple Difficult and easy, I think, were the words you said, were your gauge. The book was the book. Your writing was the writing. And yet there was this other variable which did not come from the book, which was, okay, today it feels easy. Today it feels hard. I back off. And therefore it may be back into flow and back into easy. Now, what, what you heard Bob say, Bob Patterson say, what if hard is a state of mind? It can be a nice phrase. And nice phrases can sometimes make it onto an, you know, an inspirational greeting card or a poster somewhere. Yeah. But you heard it differently. So there was something that I would, I would surmise that, that touched you about that phrase. And I don't know if you can talk more about that. Well, I don't think we want to learn anything. We're not inspired to move towards something that is hard. Like who wants to learn Russian if it's going to be hard? Like I actually, that's probably how I learn, hold learning Russian as really hard. <laughs> I don't know a lick of Russian. I know, no, I don't know any Russian, <laughs> even though technically I'm, my, my grandfather was Russian. Um, like that doesn't inspire me to learn Russian, to learn that language, because I hold it as hard. But if I held it as, wow, learning Russian would allow me to connect with some family members, distant family members I have in Russia. And what if learning Russian was fun? And what if learning Russian was a way to, yeah, feel more love and connection? And, and what, if it, what if it was easy? As soon as I asked myself, what if it was easy to learn Russian? It's like, I don't know, something happens in my body where I get really excited to learn Russian. Like I get this jolt of inspiration to move towards that thing and i think that jolt of inspiration that inspire that's the link to the space that kate was pointing to earlier inspiration is always the link to the space 
um, and like, yeah, when I hold her this hard, I have zero, I, all I feel is resistance to learning a new language. Mm. And I don't know if that helps clarify the question, the answer at all, but it's like, there's something in the way we hold it that I will either lean in or lean away from. And I happen to think that leaning into life is the, is the answer is that's leaning into the experience of everything. Whenever I'm leaning away, it's kind of a clue that I'm resisting something. Resisting the space, blocking the space. Because mm. inspire that word, you know, I love that word. I used to teach yoga and I used to talk about this a lot in yoga, about the inhale and the exhale and inhaling, inspiring in Latin is in spirit. It's in communication with spirit. It's in, in life. So every time we inhale, we're literally inhaling life. Um, and I've just decided that that's what I'm committed to. I just, I just like the feeling of being in concert with life as opposed to resistance to life. It's just a nicer feeling. Mm. In the book, there's a few times that you refer to what you've been talking about, that you talked about fear being, and insecure thoughts being love notes, in the same way as the, the difficulty versus easy gauge being of the same quality of when we're finding it tough or we're afraid, or we are insecure, that's a love note to tell us that we're in our heads right now. And there's a beautiful story about you in your very witty way um, talking about an experience of being on a plane with turbulence. And I don't know if, if that's something you'd like to bring up, if, if you remember having written it, or you'd like me to kind of... Why don't you tell me about it, Wynn? Tell, tell right. me what you think about it. All right. <laughs> so here's what I loved in the way that you described it even though the experience that you were having of being of having turbulence during that flight, there was something in you that knew it was temporary and you were okay, even if you felt really unwell at that time. So you saw its temporary nature. And, and expanding that to what I just, just mentioned as well is that fear is of the same, insecurity is of the same, Difficulty and hard is of the same. If it is a state of mind, then and state of mind is temporary, then so are all of those. And I think when anybody, anybody I've talked to, and I can speak from personal experience for me as well, that really sees the truth in that mood, feelings, regardless of how real they seem, to know that they're temporary is a game changer, is a life changer. Just turbulence. Yeah. You said that well. Thank you. Well, and you it's said like, the book has a life of its own, and that's an example, <laughs> right? Well, it's like when 
when people hear often, you know, your whole experience is an illusion of thought. <laughs> of people are like, that strikes a lot of fear and panic. Like it's not, it's not taken as um, positive because we stabilize to the illusion all the time. And we're constantly stabilizing our life to the, to the illusion of thought. So when someone says all your thoughts, it's all made up, you know, it's like, it's kind of like this panic run for the hills kind of feeling. Um, I just don't see it that way. I feel like the fact that it's all an illusion of all this temporary illusion of thought, it's like one big magnificent circus, Ferris wheel, unicorns, that that's amazing because there's all, because as you know, to quote Sydney Banks, you're always one thought away from a different feeling. Like it's, uh, it's, I think it's the most beautiful gift. And, and again, it goes back to like, it's, it's liberating uh, that we get to use this gift of thought in any way that we can. And it, it's simply a matter of our awareness of that thought, of what cloud we're in, of what turbulence mm. we happen to be feeling, of what story we're movie we're living in and everyone has the same amount of awareness everyone has it's equal opportunity employer <laughs> no one has any less or more awareness than anyone else it's like i just think it's so beautiful i think it's like the most positive thing that i could have ever learned and it's not positive thinking it's not it's um yeah, i don't know i just it makes me really happy. <laughs> I, I'm conscious that I spend a lot of my attention on the clouds. Me too. I'd love to hear you talk about the blue sky. Well, the name of the book for about a year of the two years of it being written was um, The Shape of Clouds. So was, and I even had a whole other different cover. And I really, really loved the title, The Shape of Clouds. Like it just had this poetic ring to it. And I was really attached to the title, The Shape of Clouds, actually. And it was, um, and it was more about thought and how we're always, you know, we're always in thought or feeling thought or it was all about thought. It was all about the clouds. And there was a moment where I realized that I was like, oh, that's not the important message of the book because most people are aware of thought most people are living their whole life in thought most people are only in the clouds and i just there was just a moment where i realized oh it's about telling people pointing to the space before the thought it's pointing to the blue sky that if anyone gets any message out of this book at all it's that you're not your thought and your maybe your thought isn't as important as you thought it was and so that's why the title changed from The Shape of Clouds to You Are the Blue Sky, which, to be honest, I still like The Shape of Clouds as a title better. <laughs> but the You Are the Sky pointed to the space that I felt like was, was the answer, was the more important message, that you are okay no matter what you're thinking. And in order to... And then once that became clear that that was the message, you are okay no matter what you're thinking, that was actually where uh, 
I gave myself more permission to share more of my deeper, darker stories. Cause there are a couple personal stories that would be bordering, not on like dark, dark, but like more of the messy variety. And I realized that I had to share those kind of messier stories about myself. I didn't feel comfortable putting myself on this stand to say, you're okay, no matter what you thought. And didn't, and if I didn't share some of my dirty, icky, gross thoughts, that would just come off as really fake and false. So some of the, like the capacity, which is probably um, maybe the most personal story of the whole book that was actually written fairly recently, fairly later in the game. And it wasn't until that came out because of my willingness to be like, oh, I have to actually share maybe my darkest clouds in order to point to the fact that we really are the blue sky. And I really didn't want that chapter in the book. My personal ego self didn't want that chapter in the book. I didn't want anyone to know about that. I had to call my mom and call my mother-in-law and tell them, it's okay, it's about, I'm just a brief chapter about infertility. But my mom and my mom-in-law, I never told them. I never told them that I couldn't have kids. So the book came out, this chapter came out. I wrote like very deeply and personally about this topic. And then I was like, oh God, they're going to read this book and they don't even know. (laughs) So it was, um, but then they were, of course, they were lovely and supportive about it. But it was really in all in um, in effort to show that we're okay. I had to show my no matter what if I was going to say you're okay no matter what. Mm. Now, of course, anyone who reads the book and buys the book from now on, they're going <laughs> to skip to that chapter. It's a good chapter. I still cry when I read it. Well, I cry. I cried when I wrote it, and I still cry when I read it. Well, I'd like to share. Two hours before uh, the three of us are talking right now, I had a call with a client in Central Europe. And um, I promised you when your book came out that I would start recommending it. Okay, so both my parents have a copy. And the person that I talked to earlier on today um, downloaded the ebook because as soon as I'd recommend it, I want it now. Right, literally. And today was the first time we talked since she received the copy of of the book, and it said, um, "As English is not their first language, this is what they actually said." Right, because I wrote it down, knowing I would be talking to you. It's really nice. I like it very much. So many experiences are very similar to me. It's more personal, more easy to understand than most of the books that I've read about the nature of being human. And the whole notion of fighting the intellect and fighting the messiness and seeing that the fight is not required because we can have the dance between, what did you say at the beginning, the messiness of being human and the divinity, um, the beauty of our divinity it was in the feeling, not in the explanation, not in the, this is how we work, but in your illustration through beautifully, a beautiful sharing of your own real life stories that have been showing how 
human beings are as opposed to telling them. Mm. So she really thanks you. I love that. Thank you for saying that. Showing versus telling. That's, that's the secret of good writing too. Sarah, what do you think changed from when you were first writing the book to more recently where it felt that it made sense to put it in, that it felt light to put in very personal things, but you said maybe two years ago, maybe you wouldn't have done that. What do you think changed from when you first started in the process to putting that story in and that making complete sense to do? That it's not about me. Mm. It was really a surrendering of ego. My ego was really loud in the beginning. Really loud. And I still have one. <laughs> I just didn't listen to it as much anymore. Um, it all felt really personal in the beginning. And then the ironic, weird thing about sharing the personal stories is as I shared them, they actually got less personal. It was like, as I, sh it was like, you know, we hold these stories. Like I was holding that story of not being able to have kids. I was actually holding it really tightly to me and it was meaning a lot to me. And that's actually why I didn't tell my family and why I hadn't shared it with my mom because I was holding it so close. And that actually created this weight. And as I started to write about it and as I started to talk about it, it's like that story got more spacious. And even though it's deeply personal, as I shared it, it got more universal. It's, it's like, it, like it almost had a trajectory. Out. And now it doesn't even, in some ways, feel like my story anymore mm -hmm. in letting it go. It's like, I almost wonder if ego is just like, it's a, ego is like a, a line. I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this at all, but like if there, if we have an aura of a line around us all, like a line of an, a border, it's a boundary. Ego is like a boundary uh, of our personal self, our personal thoughts about ourselves. And when we keep them a secret, they stay in the boundary. They stay close to us. And when, as soon as we share them, they actually, they, they cross, they cross the line, they cross over. And, uh, and then they're not about me anymore. And they have less weight and they have um, less meaning about who I am because now they're just, um, they're just my lived experience that happened to happen to me. And those were the thoughts that I happened to have during that lived experience. And uh, they're free. Hmm. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting too is um, when you were sharing about how you, um, you know, had birthed this book out and now it's like this, almost this unattachment that you, you've kind of put it out there and now you see what becomes of what you did and um, and I remember thinking, oh, she must have kids, which is very interesting that that's what your chapter was about, because I was like, because she gets what the most important part of parenting is, is saying, okay, now go out there. 
you know, letting your kids go, letting your creations, you know, these things that you've kind of sacrificed and, you know, and loved and held so dearly. And now it's letting it out in the world and just saying, okay, yeah, let's see what happens. Really interesting. And I love what you shared about love letters. But most people don't think of their stressful thoughts as love letters. <laughs> and that's probably why it occurred to me because most people's stressful thoughts feel stressful and true. And yours feel like love letters, reminders. Yeah, I mean, not always. Sometimes it takes me a, a moment to get to the love letter <laughs> feeling. I mean, if you read the book, I'm, I'm very uh, open about all of my messiness, all of the times where I'm not in the blue sky. <laughs> I think that's one reason why I remember the turbulent story is the whole kind of how it began and I'll, I'll share it for, um, for anyone listening who's not read the book. It, it, I think if I remember the chapter starts with, as I was reaching for the bath bag on an aeroplane and it was just like, yep, that's messiness and humanity right there before we see the nature. Wait a minute. This is a love note in disguise. It's really cool. You know, the other thing that, I noticed in listening to what you shared about the ego and the boundary is that often, often that's, it's like the act of vulnerability. I'm now going to do vulnerability in order to X, Y, Z, as opposed to what you said, which is a deeper, more meaningful way of being as opposed to oh, now it's time for me to be vulnerable in order to achieve a goal um, or be vulnerable for vulnerable's sake. There's something deeper in what you just shared that I think is worth highlighting. Mm. That's a cool distinction because I've actually been, un I'm uncomfortable with the being vulnerable for vulnerable's mm. sake. It's not, I mean, I get it and I think it's better than, being fake, which I guess would be the opposite of being vulnerable, <laughs> you know, but um, I also love the definition of vulnerability that I heard is just showing up as you are. And I love that definition because I think for a long time, I thought vulnerability had to be, was always showing my sad side or always showing my messy side. But vulnerability is also showing your power when you feel powerful. It's showing your confidence when you feel confident. It's showing your joy when you feel joy. And so like showing up as you are truly doesn't just mean sharing your sad story. That's a beautiful distinction. <laughs> this has been really lovely. Sarah, it's been a joy. Um, we'll share your contact details that they're in the information on wherever you're accessing this podcast or below if you're watching on YouTube. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we finish today? Hmm. This has just been a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed my time here. I enjoy the pauses and I enjoy the silence and I enjoy the slowed downness of 
both Kate and Wynne, both your presence. It's, um, it's really special. So thank you and congrats on having this awesome podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. You've been listening to Under, Under the Noise with this week's special guest, Sarah Costin, and with Kate Roberts and me, Wynne Morgan. And we look forward to sharing whatever we share with you next. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynne or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.